what you are basically. Deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. Honestly expressing yourself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. The fabric and structure of existence itself. Hi everybody, welcome to the Parallel Mike Podcast. I am your host Mike and thank you for joining me for episode number 11. Tonight I'm going to be speaking to my good buddy PJ Buys. PJ is an ex-ice hockey player, he's also an ice hockey coach, and he's also the author of a book called Gradually, Gradually, Suddenly, The Coming Financial Collapse and the Hope of Jesus Christ. Now today me and PJ are going to be picking apart what we both feel is a demonically possessed book. It's a very sinister and manipulative book that has an awful lot of relevance to what is happening and taking place in the world right now. And the book is called The Reappearance of Christ. The book was written in the 1940s by Alice Bailey, an occultist and wife of a 32-degree Freemason called Foster Bailey. And in the book, Alice talks about the coming return of the Christ or cosmic Christ who with the support of global institutions like the United Nations, and today we would also say the WEF, the WHO, the IMF, she said that this cosmic Christ is going to be brought about by these global institutions and he is going to come and unite the world under one religion. Now you may remember me mentioning this book in my episode on the Antichrist symbolism of the coronation ceremony and King Charles III. And the reason this book is so important is that it really laid out the framework as to how everything that is taking place right now is going to come together eventually towards a one world religion. Now it's important to note that this isn't just some random text by an occultist either. Alice Bailey and her husband, the Freemason, actually worked for the United Nations under the very premise of triggering the return of a Christ who both myself and PJ actually identify as the Antichrist. So they were working with the UN right from the very beginning, infusing this occultism into the United Nations agenda. So maybe it won't surprise you to learn that the flag of the United Nations is actually in Masonic blue. Of course, you already know this. It also has a world map on it. And how many sections is that world map split into? Well, of course, it's the number 32. So you have to understand that from the very beginning, these global institutions were working towards eventually taking us to some kind of one world spirituality, although it would not be one of the Christian type, it would be something more occult, and in my opinion, something satanic. Now this is an area that not many people are watching or even aware of, and I think that is because over the years there has been so much focus on potentially coming to a one world government that there's been very little focus on anything else, such as a one world religion. 
And part of that is because to get us to a one world religion, they first had to take us to nihilism, which is the lack of belief. And I think that disarmed a lot of people and it made them believe that any future totalitarian system, any future one world government would be atheist in nature. Well, that was only the setup. It actually goes like this. It goes from taking us from God to nihilism or lack of belief to Satanism in that order. And today, I think we are well and truly in the final stage of that. That's my opinion, and it's also the opinion of many other people also. But what comes next would be tricking people into following an antichrist, an actual antichrist avatar that returns, potentially claiming to be Jesus Christ or some kind of other cosmic Christ. So I don't think what we're seeing today is atheism at all. I think it's covert Satanism. And of course, the signs of this are all around us. Just this past week, we saw the American supermarket chain Target outed for having created a line of clothing for children from pretty much ages zero up until teenage years. And this was a line of clothing that had symbolism, of course, related to the LGBTQI plus agenda. It also had clothes for preteens and teens that helped them to bind their chests and what they called tuck-friendly swimsuits, which of course is used to forcibly flatten the genitals of kids who are being indoctrinated to change their gender. Now, as sick and depraved and twisted as that already is, it gets even worse because it was soon discovered that the artist that they employed to create these designs, a man named Eric Carnell, he was actually an out-and-out Satanist. And this was no secret. Just looking through his Instagram profile revealed pretty much all of his designs in the past are based around Satanic symbolism and occult imagery with taglines like Satan loves you and respects who you are and Satan respects pronouns. Important to note, none of this was hidden. It is literally his entire Instagram feed. So of course, the supermarket chain Target were 100% aware that they were choosing a Satanist to create clothing for children, impressionable young children that were going to be indoctrinated towards this trans ideology. So it's never an accident. Anyone who has ever worked with a large company or organization will tell you that when choosing designers to create for them lines of products or lines of clothes, these artists are fully vetted. Dozens of people go through their entire body of work, their online profiles, their social media presence to ensure that they are employing someone that they are 100% happy to get behind. But of course, this is just one of many examples, listeners. Recently, we had the Balenciaga debacle, which was something similar. And pretty much any major sporting event, concert or Hollywood film today will be filled with satanic messaging. We've got the far left also pushing for full-time abortions and even talking about the killing of babies outside of the womb post-birth up to 30 days. So this is how it's all unfolding. We are being taken to a new religion that is actually Satanism. It's wrapped up in ideology and its main focus, of course, is always on children. But this is only the beginning, in my opinion. The ultimate goal would be the returning of a counterfeit Christ in the future. We're not there yet, but maybe 5, 10, 15 years. And this counterfeit Christ figure would convince the masses to rally around them as the new saviour, and it is that future that Alice Bailey's book is preparing the masses for, but particularly Christians, as you're going to find out. So in part one, me and PJ are going to go through Alice Bailey's book, chapter by chapter, picking out some of the key quotes and messages to help you understand more about the book and about the lady, the woman behind the text. And like I said, it's a very, very divisive text aimed at tricking the reader 
into supporting what is essentially a plan to bring about the Antichrist, something that we are now entering the early stages of, in my opinion. Then in part two, me and PJ go deeper into the idea of a coming one world religion based around Satanism and the idea that at some point an Antichrist is going to appear just like Alice Bailey said they would, although of course Alice Bailey says it's going to be the new Christ, the new avatar, but who I and PJ both believe will actually be an Antichrist set about bringing about the demise of millions or billions of people here on earth. So part two for members, you are really going to enjoy because we really lay out there what is happening and importantly, what we can do to protect ourselves from being tricked by what comes next. So this is another awesome episode in which PJ really brings the heat. I'm super grateful for him for coming on to share this one with us. Members, please head over to parallelmike.com where you will find there is now a new look for the member-only episodes. Here, you'll be able to click on each episode individually now and underneath each episode, there will be a comment section. This means you'll be able to discuss the episode with other members, maybe even the guest also because I know for a fact PJ is a member of my site, so he will be on there. Also, I'll be dipping in and out in the comments section too. But don't worry, I'll also be leaving up a master playlist as well so you can listen to all episodes back to back if you want to. But for commenting on the episodes, there'll be a unique page for every single episode and I look forward to seeing you there in the comments section. If you're not yet a member and you like what you hear in part one, please come join us over there. Supporting independent content creators like myself is just one way to push back against what is happening and also it's good to join a community of higher-minded thinkers looking to live in the light of truth and together build a parallel system. In closing, I wish you all good health and happiness, courage and strength. And of course, I will see you in the next one. Okay, hi everybody. Welcome to the Parallel Mike podcast. This is my episode with my good friend PJ Buys. And on today's show, as I said in the introduction, we're going to be exploring the book, The Reappearance of Christ, by Alice Bailey. And then we're going to be discussing this push for a one world religion. And I discussed this a little bit in my recent episode on King Charles and the coronation ceremony. And PJ has asked me to read this book many times. And I finally got around to reading it. And it kind of put everything together for me. And so I think this one's going to be really interesting. PJ, thank you so much for joining us. I'll just say a quick hello and ask you how you're doing. Then we'll get straight into the book. <laughs> doing great, Mike. Honestly, uh, always so good to hear from you. Uh, to see you and uh, just speaking again as one of your uh, fans, uh, we we we've really come to rely on you and and just we're so appreciative uh, of the work that you do. Like you're such a gift to to me and to the world, and um, your episodes and podcasts have been so informative and, and just so exciting, Mike. And um, I really think again, like when it comes to tapping into the the consciousness, uh, a word they're going to be looking at a lot today, uh, tapping into the consciousness of what's going on in the current world today. Um, you're seeing it and you're getting it. And I think the people that are listening to your show were really benefiting from it. So um, thank you for that again. And uh, super excited to be back today. I think we have a really good lineup for us today. So let's get into it. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, PJ. And I think my audience is super smart and I meet some awesome people, including yourself. So this has been a blessing for me. So I'm really happy to do this episode with you again. And I'm sure you'll be back on in the future. So let's start, PJ. I'm just going to hand it over to you so you can give us maybe a quick summary of the book, Alice Bailey. The, in fact, before we do that, I'm just going to let the viewers know who Alice Bailey is. I think that would help just before we speak about the book. Um, I've got a little quote here. So Alice Bailey was born on June the 16th, 1880 in Manchester, England. She was raised in an Orthodox Christian family, which she would later say 
made her very unhappy and a bad-tempered little girl. Life was not worth living, she said, and the feeling of worthlessness and a certain amount of curiosity about life and death led her to attempt suicide three times before she was even 15. Now, Alice Bailey went on to become a member of the Theosophical Society. She was certainly one of the key proponents in her day when it came to esotericism, and we'll draw more on that as we go through the episode. But really, just as a basic intro, she was born in 1880. She went on to become very well known. She wrote a lot of books, about 26, I think, in her life. Her husband was a 33-degree mason, which I'm sure we'll get to as well. And uh, yeah, I'll hand it over to you now, Peter, because we're going to be talking about this specific book. Uh, and then in part two, we're going to go deep onto this one world religion agenda. Mm, awesome. And um, before we started even looking at the the book, um, like there's something key, like I think I wanted to say as at the outset, which is this, is that so C.S. Lewis has a quote in the Screw Tape Letters where he says this, that um, when looking at demons and the darkness, there's two approaches that people have in approaching these topics that are both detrimental. The first is that when people look at demons and Satan, they don't believe. They don't believe in the existence. But the second view is to take an unhealthy interest in them. Today, we're going to be looking at the literal teachings of demons. Because as we're going to be looking at this book with Alice Bailey, she's channeling a demon essentially the whole time when writing this. So when we're coming against something like the demonic or against the evil or against lies, the way that you can expose lies or know it to be false is in light of or in relation to a standard of truth. So truth is what's actually important and truth is what's essential when we're examining a context or a text like this. And before I do that, there are two wild verses I just kind of wanted to share first because, like, it's important for us to kind of recognize, like, the reality in which we're participating. Because, Mike, I already feel like the way that I've been thinking about this coming up, so, like, the kind of inner passion and even, like, frustration that I've kind of been feeling with regards to where the world is right now, where you've had the last two years, where at least in the Western world or here in Canada, they've already been swept away. People have already forgotten what's going on. And there are big events happening in the world right now, and people aren't seeing it. And we're going to be looking at documents today. We're looking at a book that's very, very dark and very, very real. So people have to have an awareness. So the first verse is Ephesians 6, 10, verse 11. This is something for us to be aware of. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the principalities, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So that's the first one. And the second one is Jesus in Luke chapter 10, which is amazing and powerful. So it says this, he who listens to you listens to me and he who rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And then the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So the real thing that Jesus is saying there, when you're looking at demons or dealing with them, for those who are in Christ, you have a superior wisdom and a superior power over them. So if you feel like a a fear of the demonic or a longing or some sort of a twisted desire to be interested in them, just recognize and know that there's a superior power always to it. So that's kind of the preset. That's my little thing. And let's, uh, let's get into it. 
let's get into it now, buddy. Just uh, yeah, no, I would way. just add to that that when we speak today, we we are looking at a very very dark book, but it's also a highly divisive book. It's very very manipulative, and I remember mm. when I first read the first few chapters, I was drawn into it because it really spoke to a lot of my beliefs, and I'm sure we're going to draw that out in part two. Uh, so. You know, this is something to be aware of as a listener that what we're talking about here is really an attempt to fool people. And a lot of it has been buried under the carpet over the past 50 years or so. But originally it was released, it was put out there, its energy was out there. And then all of a sudden it's kind of gone underground. And we're going to bring it back out today to reveal to people what this book was about and what the agenda was about and how that agenda then filtered into the mainstream uh, and all of these organizations that we've got today, the WEF, the WHO, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, all of that. This is all linked into all of that. And you're going to find that out today. So, PJ, back over to you. Um, maybe you are, you take it where you want, my friend. You you can start whichever part you think is the best for the listeners. Okay. So probably for the listener, like I, I have a summary of the book, which I'm going to kind of start with. And I think the summary is going to be the best place to start because instead of just jumping right into the chapters, I'll give you a brief summary of what the book is teaching and what the essential message is. And then from there, we can kind of pick it apart chapter by chapter. We'll look at a few quotes and we'll analyze it and we'll kind of go from there. So real quick, this is what Alice Bailey is saying in the book, The Reappearance of the Christ. The world is being prepared for the return of the Christ, an avatar and messenger of God who comes from the outside to teach, guide, and save humanity from themselves. Throughout the ages, the divine light and love has sent forth many avatars who have come to mankind with divine wisdom from the outside teach humanity during or after a, a, t a time of crisis. The world operates in cycles of turmoil and difficulty, and in these times, humanity looks for a savior and an outsider to rescue them. The final Christ will return after a period of deep turmoil and crisis upon the earth. The world is being prepared for the return of the Christ by the spiritual masters who are seeking to bring about a one-world government and a single humanity for the Christ to rule over. The last Christ, Jesus of Nazareth was sent by God to teach humanity the path of love. However, the Orthodox Church, guided by Saul of Tarsus, misinterpreted the inclusive message of Christ's love by narrowly focusing on legality, doctrine, or organized religion. The ecclesial Christian church has become a source of evil and has failed to bring peace to the world. However, the true followers of the real faith, in quotation, those who, being taught and led by the ancient masters of the spiritual hierarchy, are preparing the world for the next physical return of the next and final Christ. The true followers of the true Christ are working in government, finance, and business to establish right relations among humans to prepare the world for a global peace that the next return of the Christ will oversee and establish. Mankind is consciously being turned away from materialism, war, and destruction towards a universal consciousness of peace and prosperity that will unite all people, all religions, and all governments into one under Christ. The Christ is coming to establish through precept and example and world services the principles in which a united, interdependent, and interactive world may create a new material system and spiritual institution for a new civilization, a civilization that will finally remove evil and establish a one-world one government and a worldwide peace. Okay. Summary, that's, I don't know, 200, 250 pages summarized in one page, but uh, I think it's a good start. Um yeah, I think that, that lays it out re really well, that what we're talking about here is if you go to Revelations and you look at the idea of a one world government, that's posited as something that the Antichrist is going to come along and do. 
And what we're getting at here is Alice Bailey is talking about the development of one world government or one world religion that is instigated from the top down. So we're talking about these, she talks about global institutions and she uses a lot of uh, interesting language. She says executive, Christ is going to be the executive, executive, was that the word that you used? So there's a lot to unpack there, uh, but I think it lays out really well that what Alice Bailey was talking about in this book is the um, creation of a one world system. And that today, that is that has never, ever been more obvious that that is where we already are or are very, very close to fulfilling. It's bigger and deeper than that. One of the things that people have to recognize in someone like in Alice Bailey's work or even when we're talking about the Bible now, there's always something bigger and deeper. Um, we're going to look at the first chapter here in a second, but like one of the things too, even like that, I want to kind of suggest here from the beginning, one of the concepts that you've talked about, and one of the things I, I really appreciated, is in the past, you said there are four levels of awareness of reality, and especially in relation to the past four years, and you kind of set it up in stages almost, and you can kind of uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to give, basically give like a... a quick like analysis of, of it because it's a really interesting idea the first level of awareness is stage one which you kind of like you can always be uh we kind of jokingly say like the sheep people who are living in this world completely unaware of what's going on they go to work every day they don't really mind themselves with things of god or the eternal existence or an awareness of what's going on in the government whatever the mainstream medium tells them to do whatever the government tells them to do they just do it they don't question it no questions asked just kind of go about their day People number two are people who are kind of like, you know what, it seems kind of odd. Like, it seems kind of odd that, you know, the government is shutting us down. They're forcing us to do the stuff that we don't want to do. Uh, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but you know what, whatever. I'm just going to go about my day. They don't really think about it too much. They might have a few questions about, like, spiritual reality. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're more concerned with the things of this world, the hockey team, the sport team that won, uh, the coronation of the king, which for me as a Canadian, I personally don't really care for it very much but anyway it's uh i don't want to insult you like i know you're british i don't want to insult you but people hey, who are the king too <laughs> yeah okay. i do have the canadian flag behind me um stage two people though are people who are kind of recognize some irre irregularities in the world but it doesn't really affect them stage three people are people who are like things aren't making sense there are noticeable contradictions noticeable lies in the media what the government is saying things that don't seem to match up in my personal life with this with this existence that I'm going through. How do I make sense of it? And although they ask the right questions and they move in the right direction, they don't actually act on that belief because the true symbol of belief is action and behavior. If I truly believe that, um, I don't know, the chair that I'm sitting upon is, is going to hold me up, I, I will actually sit on it. Like true belief is followed by behavior and action. So these people, although they might believe the right things or they're asking the right questions, they don't actually act on it. Stage four is probably the deep, like the last stage of depth, which is people who recognize the irregularities, the lies, the contradictions in the mainstream media, and the things that the government is saying in their world around them, and they actually act on it. These are people, in my opinion, who are wise. They're the ones who are preparing for and they're building the parallel system. They're seeing the, the writing in the stars. They're recognizing what's going on. They see what's going on with mandates and all these other things, and they go, this is not something that this has to be acted upon. I need to prepare myself for all this stuff. That's stage four. The stage that I'm trying to propose to you today and to the listener is stage five, Christianity and the Bible. 
because when you look at the Bible and you look at Christianity, the idea, especially for me as a believer, is that the Bible is an interpretation and an explanation of reality, capital R. It speaks to what is real and how the world actually is and how the world actually functions. So when you study the Bible, we're all going to have different interpretations. That's fine. That's fine. But ultimately, it is, a book, it is a book about reality. And that reality is summarized in the one true God, Jesus Christ. So when we talk about things like Satan and demons and our, our battle is against have, uh, evil, evil spirits that run that from the heavenly realms that run through institutions of power, like Ephesians 6 talks about, it's not as if like that's an allegory or an interpretation. This is where it gets deep. No, like the Bible's actually saying it like it is. So when you talk about things like government, when you talk about things like these institutions, like the World Economic Forum, or like they're not actually just like people who are seeking their own money or seeking their own power. Obviously, like that's included, but there actually is a depth to the reality of the fact that these people are being influenced and they channel and they participate with the demonic who rule and operate and act through these things. And that, and people instantly go, that's conspiracy, that's conspiracy. No, that's what the Bible says. So one of the things that's really frustrated me, Mike, I know we're supposed to be talking about the book, and you got me ranting because I have all this kind of built-up passion, and hopefully that's okay, listener, forgive me. But one of the things that's been really frustrating me, especially as I get older, is not only people's inability to see reality, but their refusal to see it or to want to see it. And that's the difference. I don't come to this and I don't read this book by Alice Bailey. I don't read the Bible because I like what it says necessarily, or I want it to say that. No, it says it like it is. And if you're going to use the word like conspiracy, the Bible is a conspiracy then according to you, then Frank, because I'm just simply teaching or saying what it says. And that's fine. If you don't believe the Bible or don't accept its authority, no problem. Like I understand that. And again, many of your listeners are probably critical thinking agnostics or critical thinking people who are trying to figure out their own belief system. And I, man, all the, I have all the time in the world for people like that, like, um, who wouldn't, cause, uh, for me to speak as a Christian today, it's not easy. Like it's, it's not easy to try to understand and interpret reality as it is. Um, but, uh, we're dealing with some real stuff here today, man. And uh, I just want the people to, to understand that like, this is real deal. This is no joke. This is life or death consequences. Cause when the Bible does speak about eternal reality and eternal consequences, do not be deceived. Jesus said, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. I can't tell you how many times Jesus said, do not be deceived. Because there is a deceiver. He is out there. He is looking to deceive. In First Peter uh, First Peter chapter uh, 4, I believe it is, um, Peter writes, the devil roams around like a lion seeking whom he will devour. But stand firm and resist him. So like that's what we're going to be doing today. <laughs> okay, no more ranting. That's lots of passion. Let's get to the book. Yeah, yeah. Just to add on to, to, to the end of that, I think... One thing that people today don't have is the language of symbolism. And the language of symbolism predates language itself. It is our language. It's the language of the gods, I would say, symbolism. That is how things are revealed to us. So once you take away the language of symbolism from mankind, what that allows them to do is to remove all of the language that would symbolize God, the divine nature, creation, love, beauty. They take all that and strip that out of society and then fill society with the symbolism of Satan. And that is something that people who listen to this will surely be recognizing. It's everywhere, particularly if you listen to the episode on the um, King's coronation, it was full of symbolism. Now, so many of us today see the symbolism everywhere. We see it in the logos, we see it in the hand signals, we see it in the way that they put these different demonic kind of 
reference points all throughout society in the way that they use occult ley lines, everything, the number of numerology is everywhere. Uh, and what they're doing is they're trying to bring about this satanic energy to bring about that antichrist figure or bring about that demonic force in our reality. And because people have had this stripped from their life and the understanding of symbolism, they don't see it. So, so they're going around celebrating all these things. They're like, yeah, you guys are crazy. You, you, you're conspiracy theorists because they don't have the language. And PJ, if you go to China and you don't have the language, you're not going to get very far, my friend. And it's exactly what we're talking about here. So I think that lays it out perfectly. Let's get to the first chapter, PJ, the doctrine of the coming one. So even before that, like what, so Bailey starts off and she says this. So in her intro, she has a state, a statement from the Tibetan. And this is kind of the key part, which gives oh, you- Oh, let me just, sorry, PJ, to interrupt. Let me just let people know about this part because I've got a quote about this Tibetan monk. I think it's really important that people understand this. So I'll just read this quote here. Between 1919 and 1949, which is when Alice Bailey died, she produced 24 books, including an autobiography. 19 of these books were supposedly written by her Tibetan master, DK, who she calls Jival Kul, a spirit entity that channeled information through her. So she channeled this energy of this Tibetan master, and she said that all of her books were revealed by him. During the intervening years, Alice Bailey spent mo most of it working out what she referred to as the plan, the results of mm. which influenced the birth of many new age groups. So that just that basic understanding that the Tibetan we're talking about here, or PJ is going to talk about, this is uh, an entity, a demonic entity or a heavenly entity, as Alice Bailey saw it. That's up to you as a listener to decide. <laughs> yeah, or maybe it was an actual literal Tibetan monk bouncing around, probably not. So... In her summary, and that was really helpful, Mike, that's really good. So in the summary, or, or summary of her intro, she starts by saying this. The Tibetan monk that ba Bailey is channeling claims to be a Tibetan disciple from beyond the Christ himself. This monk has walked the path of enlightenment, neither old nor young, teaching the knowledge of the ageless wisdom, one of the masters of the spiritual hierarchy. And Bailey says this, about the master, I am a brother of yours who has traveled a little longer upon the path than has the average student and has therefore incurred greater responsibilities. I am the one who has wrestled and fought his way into a greater measure of light than has the aspirant who will read this article, and I must therefore act as a transmitter of the light. I am not an old man as age counts among the teachers, yet I am not young or inexperienced. My work is to teach and to spread the knowledge of the ageless wisdom wherever I can find a response and have been doing this for many years. That's the starting point. Okay, chapter one, the doctrine of the coming one. So the, the summary quick. This is chapter one. The world operates in cycles of turmoil and difficulty. In these times, humanity looks for a savior, an outsider, to rescue them. There have been numerous avatars who have brought the message of capital L love from the outside in, for humanity to live by. These avatars, Christ, Buddha, etc., initiate new cycles of civilization by their established principles. The world is being prepared for the next and final avatar, the last Christ, who is being summoned by his true followers who, unlike the Christian church who only focus on doctrine and control, truly live by the principle of love. When the Christ comes, he will establish a perfect peace on earth like never before. So there's some quotes there, and, and please feel free to, uh, Mike, to, to, to read them, and we'll get okay, into it. Okay, I'm going to throw a quote in from this chapter, The Doctrine of the Coming One. For decades, the reappearance of the Christ, the Avatar, has been anticipated by the faithful in both hemispheres. When men feel that they have exhausted all of their own resources and have come to an end 
of all their own innate possibilities and that the problems and conditions confronting them are beyond their solving or handling, they are apt to look for a divine intermediary and the mediator who will bring about a rescue. An avatar mm. is one who has a peculiar capacity to transmit energy or divine power. All the world avatars or saviors, however, express two basic incentives, the need of God to contact humanity and to have a relationship with men and the need of humanity for divine contact, help and understanding. So, yeah, this is where as a reader and as somebody who uh, spent my entire life, life studying spirituality and theology, the first chapter, I will admit, PJ, it really spoke to me, particularly this idea that we have had different divine messages come down. Um, this is certainly where I originally came from. My original point was because I studied Buddhism. That was my original belief structure that I studied. Having been brought up a, a Christian and a Catholic, I went to Buddhism. And I always saw it this way that there's many different teachers out there. There's many different teachers and there's many different paths to salvation. And Alice Bailey speaks to that. So it is very endearing, particularly for people that have had a bad experience with Catholicism or Christianity or simply just do not ascribe to that belief structure. This is actually very alluring. So uh, how did you feel about that, PJ? I know as a, I know as a Christian, you've got your take, but I'm, let's imagine people in general. Can you see how that could be quite an attractive chapter? For sure. And I think that's one of, the, again, the attractive allures of a work like a Bailey or the idea of this kind of like one world consciousness, this one world religion in which all leaders or teachers or masters are in, are in essence teaching the same thing. They are all in an act or all effectively equal avatars or representatives of the divine who are sharing the same message. Buddha, Muhammad, Moses, Jesus, list goes on. Um, and that sort of like collective, um, yeah, humanitarian one consciousness like that's something that Bailey speaks a lot about and we'll probably get to that a little bit more as we go on like that kind of religious aspect because just kind of going back to chapter one like I think the key thing for people to recognize is like Bailey's talking about like what an avatar or what a supernatural like being is and what they do so just I'm just going to kind of touch on real quick like what she says which is like how are they known or what do they do so an avatar is consequently a spiritual event coming to us to bring about great changes or major restorations to inaugurate a new civilization or to restore ancient landmarks that land man near to the divine. They are defined as extraordinary men who from time to time appear to change the face of the world and inaugurate a new era into the destinies of humanity. They come in times of crisis and they frequently will even create crisis, this is Bailey, create crises in order to bring an end to an old or undesirable way of living that are more suitable for a new evolved form of living um and for this reason the avatar can be looked for today so maybe the avatar is klaus schwab then but based on what you just said there that the avatar may bring about the crisis to end one chapter of civilization and thrust us into another one i mean she couldn't be any more explicit there that there's some kind of um, evil entity there because you know whether you believe in the Christ or not if you understand the Christ character there is no way that a Christ would come here and create some kind of crisis for us just to bring about his return that doesn't make sense so, and we'll we'll keep going through the book and when we get to like summarizing it all again because we'll have to keep kind of like summarizing and bringing the reader into it because right now the takeaway is this an avatar is a significant spiritual person of extraordinary measure and power who comes from the outside 
And one of the things that characterizes an avatar is doing away with the old and bringing in the new. And when you, you, that kind of language is very biblical in general. Like when you hear Jesus, like Jesus will say, oh, you take out the old wineskin and you put in the new wineskin. And with the old and with the new. With Jesus, you saw the initiation of the, the fulfilled and new form of living that Christ wanted for us was, was to get away from living under the law, so to speak, and move into this new form of being or into this new life, so to speak. And Bailey speaking to that same kind of language, which was that when the avatar comes, they come in times of crisis when the old is no more and we're going to initiate it into something new. And yeah, for the listener, if you have your ears open, you're going to hear that language a lot right now in the mainstream media, in our governments and what's going on. We have a crisis. The way of living of the old way of living is no good. We need something new. We need something new. Okay, let's go to chapter two. I think that's pretty good for chapter one. Chapter yeah. two is Christ's occasion. Summary, today's global interconnected world of media and technology make the time right for the return of Christ. The establishment of universal partnerships and forums that seek human relations intent on welfare and right human relations will make the political and educational entry for the leader easy and seamless. True followers of the Christ consciousness who are followers of the masters of the hierarchy are in politics and high places of influence, summoning the return of the final Christ in the ancient prayer of invocation and preparing the world for him by establishing a one world government for him to rule over. Yeah, so I'll just give a quote from this chapter then. Is it true that he plans to reappear? It is a fact that he will bring his disciples, the masters of the wisdom with him. And if this, com if this coming is imminent, what are some of the factors which he and they must take into consideration? First of all, he will come to a world which is essentially one world. Today, when he comes, he will find the world uniquely free from the grip and hold of ecclesiasticism. The priests, the Levites, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not the ones who recognized him when he came before. They feared him. And it is highly improbable that the reactionary churchmen will be the ones to recognize him today. He may reappear in a totally unexpected guise. Who is to say whether he will come as a politician, an economist? a leader of the people arriving from the midst of them, a scientist or an artist. Another unique factor which will distinguish his coming will not only be the general expectancy, but also the fact that much is today known and taught about the kingdom of God or the spiritual hierarchy of the planet. Everywhere in all countries, there are thousands who are interested in the fact of that hierarchy, who believe in the masters of wisdom, the disciples of the Christ, and who will not be surprised when this group of sons of God surrounding their great leader, the Christ, make its appearance on earth. So it certainly sounds very biblical. It sounds very one world totalitarian-esque there, PJ. And one thing that she does mention there is that when he comes, the followers of Christ, so the Christians, may not recognize him. In fact, they are likely not to recognize him. Now, that really spoke to me. Because what we're seeing in the world right now is the destruction of the Christian world and the turning up to 10 of every other religion. So there's, particularly in the West, the diminishment of Christianity, they're trying to level it so that they can rise up these other religions to at least be parallel. Uh, and I think we saw that in the, in the King Charles ceremony quite a lot. I don't want to get too far ahead too quickly. We'll stick on the point. This is what I'll say about chapter two. What is key of what Alice is saying, uh, what Alice is saying is that behind these um, institutions, behind these uh, places of power, 
there are people who are working with the masters of wisdoms, the disciples of the Christ, who are working with the spiritual hierarchy, who are bringing and working this together to prepare the world for this Christ who's going to come. And I'll speak to about like the ontological or the spiritual basis of that, like as we get further along. But the key takeaway for now is what Alice is saying about these kind of like people in powers, uh, positions of power. So she has this kind of quote too. What she, sorry, been, Peter, just to interject, but what she's talking about here is secret societies in essence. She's talking about Freemasons, the Illuminati. That is exactly the language that she's using and that is where she comes from. Her husband, like I said, was a high-ranking Freemason. So she's saying that these people who work in government, who work uh, for these big corporations, the people at the very top of the power structure, they're working behind the scenes and that would be in the secret societies to bring about Christ. They're working with the disciples of Christ. So that's what that's what we're talking about here. So listeners, uh, just to make you clear that we're talking about secret societies. And let me yeah, even be even more clear about than that. Because like we are talking about the occult and we're talking about these secret societies. So when Bailey is talking about the Christ or the true disciples of the Christ or those who are working with the masters, I would say clearly as a Christian that this is what she means. These people are working with spiritual hierarchies or the masters of wisdom, aka demons, who are preparing the world for the Christ. And when they say the Christ, they don't mean the actual Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They both do and they don't, because their view and interpretation is that there's going to be coming an avatar from the outside who's going to set up a one-world government. That's who they're talking about. So for me, really quick again, giving an interpretation again, that's not jesus like that's not the flesh and blood that's not the christ of the bible that's the one who's getting it set up for and this is the level of deception and this is the power of the occult but we'll get into that more but i just want to focus on this part real quick which is as bailey says the masters of the wisdom of the hierarchy recognize that before true democracy comes the masters must initiate cooperation economic relationships through right sharing and unified political interplay that must see a separation between religion and state so that was a key quote from chapter two. So what I want to say, hey, everybody, listen to the language of somebody like the World Economic Forum or Klaus Schwab. So when Klaus Schwab speaks, it's so hilarious. Like when you read this, like, oh, I wonder who he's teaching or well, I wonder who he's influenced by. Klaus Schwab says, to achieve a better outcome, the world must jointly and swiftly revamp and change all aspects of our societies and our economies from education to social contracts and to working conditions. He continues. The World Economic Forum has a big responsibility to push the reset button and look how to create well, well-being for people on Earth. Every country from the United States to China must participate, and every industry from oil and gas and tech must be transformed. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism. Build Back Better is the effort of the world's leading thinkers to fashion longer-term perspectives and co-create a narrative that can help guide the creation of a more resilient, inclusive, and sustainable vision for our collective future. End poverty, end hunger everywhere, combat inequality, build peaceful, just, inclusive societies, protect human rights, promote gender equality, and ensure the lasting protection all by 2030. The thing that was interesting in reading Bailey, and then you listen to some of the language of our political leaders today, is that they use very vague language like, oh, we need to establish right relations among the world, and we need to create like a cooperative one world humanitarian government or like we need to create uh peace or yeah one peace world and solutions. good welfare and the language is so flowery and it's so non-descriptive kind of intentionally i think but the key thing that i wanted to kind of point out is 
the language similarity when you read the Bailey and a lot of the modern language of these guys when they say like, oh, establishing right relations among the people. Oh, we need to do away with like the old system of capitalism and initiate this new system of co-interdependence and cooperation. Like that's the language to watch out for. That's language of deception. Okay. If you want to comment on that, Mike, go ahead, but I'm ready for chapter three. Yeah, I just wanted to um, highlight that part of Klaus Schwab's quote there, which is co-create a narrative. And I think you, you can say one thing for these people. They don't mind telling you what they're doing, creating a narrative. And his second book after The Great Reset was called, I think, The Grand Narrative. And he spoke in there that we need to create narratives. So, you know, their agenda right now is completely directed towards this totalitarian one world system. And like you said, Alice Bailey, the language she's using is exactly the language that we're seeing being used for every single problem out there today. So, for example, with the um, COVID-19 phony vaccinations, they were saying nobody's safe or nobody's safe until everyone's vaccinated. You're good. All right. Chapter three, the reappearance of the Christ. And this chapter was a very good one. And, and again, just kind of asserting what her major or basic premise in general, which is that. The initiators and disciples of the Christ and his message and his kingdom of love are working with the masters of hierarchy to prepare the world for the coming Savior. The masters work within the physical bodies of the disciples who are bringing the world together through multilateral organizations in government, business, and finance. The coming Christ will come in the clouds to a prepared world and will reorder the thinking of the misguided church through his teaching. The true and real Christ accepts all religions and all founders and is not exclusive to Christianity. The coming Christ will not be accepted by the church, but will be accepted by all religions. And this is, again, getting back to, like, what we're going to be getting into a bit more. Um, it's so it's so powerful and so deep. But go ahead, Mike, if you want to read. Um, okay, let's bit. give a quote from this uh, chapter, The Reappearance of Christ. Around him in that high place on earth where he and his abiding place are gathered today all his great disciples, the masters of the wisdom, and all those liberated sons of God who, down the ages, have passed from darkness to light. Interesting. From the unreal to the real and from death to immortality, they stand ready to carry out his bidding and obey him. The master of all masters and the teacher alike of angels and of men. The exponents and the representatives of all the world faiths are there waiting under his guidance to reveal to all those who today struggle in the maelstrom of world affairs and who seek to solve the world crisis that they are not alone. The end of the age is close. The hierarchy awaits. They're all doing the will of Christ inside them by establishing and preparing the world by creating systems of unified government and organizations. Christ, the world healer and savior, he works because he is the embodied soul of reality. He works today as he worked in Palestine 2000 years ago through groups. There, he worked through the three beloved disciples, through the 12 apostles, through the chosen 70, and the interested 500. Now he works through his masters and their groups, and thereby greatly intensifies his efforts. Its citizens are those who today, unknown to the majority, live in physical bodies, work for the welfare of humanity, use love instead of emotion as their general technique, and compose that great body of illumined minds yeah so man again like the way that she kind of twists like throughout her book the way that she twists like the bible and the scriptures is so interesting like it's such an interesting way of what the way that she does it and there's a lot that could be said about um 
like chapter six, like even again, like one of the things that she says, um, there's a quote that Jesus says in the Bible where Jesus says, um, you will do even greater things than me. And in chapter three, she takes that quote and she basically says, through the illumined minds and their intellect and the sciences of modern man, like we are now reaching that point of what Jesus was speaking about 2000 years ago, which was that through our combined intellect and reason, we can create new bodies and create um, more or less. She's talking about like transhumanism from like decades past. She's talking about this modern melding of, of science, being able to pr improve upon the, the bodies of, of, of humans and stuff, which I also found kind of interesting. I don't want to really get into that too much now. I want to keep focusing on the book. But again, the key kind of takeaway from chapter three or chapter three is that um, the disciples, not the disciples of Jesus, but the disciples who are active in working for the one world government today, they're working with the masters of hierarchy and they're preparing the world for this coming savior. So I think that's, again, like kind of the key takeaway um, of chapter three. And she has this expression in there called world service the world service and this is a group of people behind the scenes that are working to bring about the return of this christ he's waiting and he's waiting for them to create the right conditions here on earth that will come after a period of great crises and people will become desperate people will become terrified and fearful and then he will reappear so chapter four pj the work of christ today so the Christ, working with and through his masters, are restoring the true message of Christ, which is the fused energy and consciousness of love and wisdom, which will bring about right human relations and welfare for all the people of the world. Along with this prophet, and that's a key interesting thing, which I think you should pick on here, <laughs> Mike, because you had some interesting things to say about King Charles. Along with this prophet, who will lead the true message of Christ, the Christ, with the fused energy of love and wisdom, with the aid of the avatar of synthesis and of the Buddha and under the influence of the spirit of peace and equilibrium, will implement and direct the energies which will produce the coming new civilization. He will see, demonstrating before his eyes the true resurrection, the emergence of mankind from the imprisoning cave into a new world global peace based on love. Some quotes there. Now we're kind of talking about the religious aspect. And again, you see this kind of language of transitioning away from the old and into the new. And um, just straight up, like you'll read a quote here, Mike, but uh, Alice Bailey is not a fan of Christianity, not a fan of the Bible, not a fan of the church uh, at all. But go ahead. No, yeah, I agree. And it's uh, I can't wait to get to part two to ask you some, some of your opinions on some of this. I'm writing stuff down uh, frantically over here. But let's get to the quote. The Church of Christians has completely falsified the real Jesus, falsely saying he was born of a virgin, died on a cross for our sins, rose again, and established a church. The church has wrongly focused on his death, not his resurrected spiritual life. In the future, the eyes of humanity will be fixed upon Christ and not upon any such man-made institutions as the church and its dignitaries. Christ will be seen as he is in reality, working through his disciples, through the masters of wisdom and through his followers who toil unseen and usually unrecognized behind world affairs quite sinister christ himself is growing and evolving and has evolved since his first appearance in palestine two thousand years ago he is the world teacher and not a christian teacher i repeat he is not a christian teacher pj he himself told us that he had other folds and to them he has meant as much as he as he has meant to the orthodox Christian, so I'll hand it back to you, uh, PJ, from there. Yeah. He's referring to Jesus in John chapter 10 when Jesus is talking about the sheep, like how he's the shepherd and he's the sheep. And 
uh, the common kind of interpretation of John chapter 10 is that in that time and age, Israel or the nation of Israel, those who are uh, those who are Jewish, they believe that they are the only chosen people of God. But then Jesus came and actually extended salvation to all people all across the world. But then Bailey's basically saying, no, 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 like that's not what he meant. Here upon this, I will, I will make my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Um, but yeah, basically what she's saying, though, is that like this Christ is <laughs> of the people. Uh, he's the Christ of all uh, all religions. And um, anyway, Mike, if you could actually, just because uh, I'm curious, if you could read the last quote that she talks about with regards to the prophet. The prophet will be sent to help and aid the Christ when he comes. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I remember this part. It's, it's, uh, I, I had some terrible ideas when this came about, about transhumanism. A prophet will be sent to help and aid the Christ when he comes. As a result of Christ's decision and his spiritual fusion with the will of God, the avatar of synthesis has become for the time being his close associate. So you're talking about a second person here, the avatar of synthesis, his close associate. This is an event of supreme and planetary importance. His relationship and planned help date from the time of the pronouncing of the great invocation and its use by men everywhere. Owing to the stupendous task confronting Christ, the avatar of synthesis will fortify him and he will be betrayed by this silent avatar who, to speak symbolically, will keep his eye upon him, his hand beneath him, and his heart in unison with his. Wow, that's a huge one, PJ. So uh, there's going to be two. It sounds very much like Revelations to me. Funny, I got it, bro. So the only thing, I have my Bible here with me. Like I'm just kind of flipping through pages as we go back and forth. Um, Revelation 13, the beast out of the sea and the beast of the earth, but more or less, what the revelation is speaking to is that there's going to be a prophet who works in conjunction and aids the the antichrist so to speak and the prophet is what she's speaking about here the avatar synthesis who so to speak kind of brings or initiates this kind of like one world religious system into one um uh really deep stuff and i think we can get into that a little bit later um because i feel like you might have some ideas about uh, that in relation maybe to king charles and some of these kind of like unique roles and symbolisms that we're finding in our world today but uh Comment on that real quick, and then I'm ready to move on. But uh, yeah, it's it's a good one. It's an interesting one for sure. Yeah, I think she's she's comp the these people and her enacting of this in the book. They are lifting this from Revelations, 100% lifted, and they're just transforming it for their own agenda. So um, it's very biblical. It's very biblical. Okay, I'm just going to leave it there, PJ, because there's so much to get through. Chapter five: The Teachings of the Christ, and I'll hand it over to you for the summary. So the teaching of the masters goes back into ancient antiquity, even as far as Atlantis, when the spiritual masters taught men and walked with them. The ancient masters taught men intellect, reason, and right relations in the ancient days. So too in the coming age, the Christ and his masters will return to the earth like they did in ancient days, and they will redeem and restore humanity through his teaching of love and rebirth. Humanity will be made immortal through reason, intellect, and mastering the physical, mental, and emotional. Jesus knew of the law of evolution and how humanity would evolve to a place where their intellect would lead them into eternal happiness or eternal life. The current Christian church is a church of hatred, division, and exclusion, the complete opposite of the true teaching of Jesus Christ when he came 2,000 years ago. Um, interesting. <laughs> okay. So there's a couple quotes here, but 
there's a lot to be said about this this one too. If, go ahead and comment first, Mike, if you want to about that, and then I'll, I'll have some things to say about this chat. Well, what she's saying here again is uh, she's talking about transhumanism. Now, I know transhumanism was in its infancy back then, but it did exist. It was a, a term coined by uh, Aldous Huxley, or Julian Huxley, sorry, his brother. And there was this idea of cybernetics as well that existed. So the transhuman element was there long, long ago. And again, it came from the secret societies. It came from Freemasonry, the Fabian Society, and many, many others. So she absolutely had 100% understanding that that was the direction it was trying to take us, this sci-fi future. And what she says there is that humanity will be made immortal through reason, the intellect, and mastering the physical mental and emotional so clearly she was nodding her head there to this transhuman future and saying that at some point we will figure out how to make ourselves immortal and that's obviously what's happening now or what they are telling people is going to be possible if they accept humanity uh, sorry transhumanism uh, so that's all i've got to say on that for now pj because the transhuman part i think we've got a lot we could say on in part two because yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah because i think we can touch on alchemy as well i think which is kind of a key theme and and but anyways one of the things i really want to kind of quickly touch upon in this chapter is this is that in matthew 24 like a very common they call the olivet olivet discourses when jesus is speaking on the mount of Olives and when he's talking about end times this is very kind of big and powerful um speech that jesus gives about what it's going to be like in the end times <clears throat> and one of the things that jesus says that people are always kind of like speaking to is jesus says as it was in the days of Noah, so too it will be in the times of the end. And when Jesus is kind of making that reference, he's referring all the way back to the ancient times, right? To the time of a deep antiquity, to the very beginning of at least what is the human story and the human narrative. And one of the things that Bailey talks about in this chapter, and again, we can kind of touch on the details of this, because in my opinion, it's all related to where culture and where culture is going, particularly in the West with this sort of... Um, neo-paganism or this kind of neo-spiritualism which is kind of emerging in the western world but one of the things that bailey says is that in the ancient world the masters of the hierarchy aka the gods they came from the outside in and they taught humanity they taught them all these skills they taught them the gift of reason and intellect and mastering tools and one of the things that in doing research but for those again who kind of have what I would say arguably is a, a more correct interpretation of creation narrative is that in most narratives and myths around creation found all around the world, whether it's in ancient Mesopotamia, China, um, the, like, uh, the, the, the Incas and the Mayas, they all speak to a very kind of similar story and narrative, which is that the gods kind of came from the outside in and they taught humanity these things. So you have the Anunnaki and the Akkadian, Sumerian, Assyrian and Babylonian traditions, Molech for the Canaanites, the great god Thoth of the Egyptians, Apollo and Artemis of Greece, um, and the ancient Watchers, which is spoken about in the Book of Enoch. I kind of wanted to talk about that real quick. As the Bible teaches in Genesis 6, Revelation of Enoch, the fallen stars are demons, fallen angels, who are kicked out of heaven for the rebellion against God Almighty, Jesus Christ. And in almost every ancient creation myth and in every modern religion, the genesis of that myth or religion is always the same is when an angel or a god comes from the outside with divine revelation to teach mankind. So it's interesting how Bailey is speaking to the fact that in the ancient world, the watchers or the masters of the hierarchy came from the outside in, and so too that will occur in the coming world that we have. 
and it's kind of an interesting illusion because Jesus kind of speaks to these things too. But anyways, to kind of wrap up or tie in that notion is not only are the masters of the hierarchy real and they're working and operating through their disciples in places of position in government, um, places of power in yeah, government and institutions, finance, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's going to become more and more physically evident as well. Not just like, oh, like there are like demons who are kind of like quietly hiding in unseen places, unrecognizable. But I think what Bailey's speaking to and what the illusion is like, no, these things are going to become more and more evident, more and more um, realizable. And you're going to start seeing the mark of that much more clearly. And uh, I think there's some things we said about that. So comment on that uh, if, you, if you would like, and then we'll keep moving along. No, I think we're good to go on to the next one, PJ. Good, good, good. Okay. Um, chapter six is, is not too many new things, and we can probably just uh, skim over that one real quick because um, Bailey doesn't like the Orthodox Church of Christianity, but she says world religion is six. The Orthodox Church of Christianity of the ecclesial world derived from the teaching of Paul have failed. They have failed man in holding back evil and promoting peace in the world. Old medieval doctrines like heaven and hell are false. The law of cause and effect is being switched to a law of rebirth because the soul reincarnates after death in the life cycle. God lives within man, and man will renew himself with a new universal religion of love, peace, inclusion, and right human relations. The new religion will be fostered in with Christ when he comes back again. It will be the true religion, a religion of the love consciousness of Christ. Okay, so wow. with that being said, it says the church today is the tomb of Christ and the stone of theology has been rolled away to the door of the sepulchre for some years now the spiritual hierarchy of our planet has been drawn nearer to humanity and its approach it is responsible for the great concepts of freedom which are so close to the hearts of men everywhere the dream of brotherhood of fellowship of world cooperation and world peace brought on by right human relations is becoming clear in our minds we are also visioning a new and vital world religion a universal faith which will have its roots in the past which will make the clear, or which will make clear the new dawning beauty and the coming vital revelation. All right, go ahead and comment on that if you if you want. To, uh, yeah, I think this is a good time to bring in uh, a quote that I've got down here about Alice Bailey's work with the United Nations because I think this is really important for the listener to understand. Is that this wasn't just some crank lady writing a book about what might happen, and it kind of now fits in with what's happening. So there's some connection. You need to understand that what is happening today is intrinsically linked to this book. And Alice Bailey was actually working with the United Nations and was absorbed into the United Nations along with her husband from the very start. So I've got a quote here. In 1932, theosophicist Alice Bailey and her husband, 32 degree Mason, Foster Bailey started World Goodwill, an official non-governmental organization within the United Nations. World Goodwill had three stated aims, to help mobilize the energy of goodwill, to cooperate in the work of preparation for the reappearance of Christ, the, to educate public opinion on the causes of the major world problems and to help create the thought form of solution. I'm not quite sure what that means. And it goes on to say that the United Nations were absorbed this, these teachings and I also know that one of Alice Bailey's students went on to create a universal or global education program 
based around the teachings of universal or world goodwill. So this is this the United Nations, the WEF, all of this has been absorbed into them. So I just think it's really important to understand that, that this isn't just one random book. This is actually what's underpinning many of these global mm. institutions. It's powerful. And, and, and viewing, uh, there's a book, um, I think it's called The New World Religion by Gary Kahn. Is it K-A-H-N? I believe it's, uh, it's a book that you've spoken to. Gary Kahn, yeah, K-A-H. Yes. And uh, he kind of goes through in that book a little bit about the history as well, like what you're talking about with Alice Bailey and the, the way in which her teachings and philosophies and even her language is incorporated into like the UN and these uh, worldwide government institutions. And, and you just spoke to that and it's so... It's kind of wild. Like it, well, it's, Also, it's... PJ, if you go to the UN headquarters and you go into the meditation room, I spoke about this with uh, Havoy Morridge. Um, basically, the room inside of it is an occult... It, well, it's an occult meditation room with all of the symbolism that is drawn from all of these secret societies and, again, from Alice Bailey. And I'll just give you a quick rundown of this and you can give me a comment on it. Says perhaps the best way to comprehend what the all-seeing eye represents is to examine the architecture of the meditation room of the United Nations building in New York City. The meditation room is shaped as a pyramid without a capstone. Inside the room is dimly lit, but coming from the ceiling is a narrow but concentrated pinpoint beam of light which radiates down onto a bleak stone altar. On the wall straight ahead is a breathtaking modernistic mural that is dynamically endowed with occult symbolism, containing 27 triangles in various configurations, a mixture of black and white and colored black ground, and a snake-like vertical line. At the center is the all-seeing eye, which grips the millions of annual UN visitors with its stark, beckoning image of suspicion and omnipresence. So that is actually the United Nations meditation room. So like I said, this occultism was there from the very beginning. So what's your take on that, PJ? But get me a ticket and get me into that room. Maybe if it sounds like a good time. It's, that's crazy, man. No, I, first of all, I didn't know that. And secondly, or secondly, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know what there is to say about that other than to kind of make further case and proof of the influence that the teachings of Alice Bailey has had on some of the most global institutions, some of the most powerful global institutions that there are, primarily in the United Nations, which has a worldwide reach. Um, great, man. Really great. Let's uh, let's kind of move on to the last chapter, and then we'll kind of do a, a final summary, and then probably wrap up uh, part one. So more or less in Chapter 7, Bailey says this, the spiritual masters are moving in full externalization, seeking to bring about a single humanity in preparation for the Christ. It is for that manifest manifestation they now prepare, these sons of God who are the sons of men. It is for this coming forth to outer active service that they are already, one by one, entering into outer activity upon the physical plan. They are not recognized for what they are, but they go about the Father's business, demonstrating goodwill, seeking to enlarge the horizon of humanity, and thus prepare the way for the one whom they serve, the Christ, the master of all masters, and the teacher of all teachers, unlike all angels and all men. Christians must abandon the futility and ignorance of their orthodox Christianity for the true kingdom of God to move the world toward oneness, a manifest Christ and hierarchy of beings. That's the goal. And uh, therefore, today we wait for this new appearing. The Christ is universally expected, and in the spirit of expectancy comes the antidote to the spirit of fear and horror, which is descended upon our, our unhappy planet. 
the final chapter. And let's kind of summarize and wrap it all up. Going back again to what we said in the summary in the first part, Bailey's main thrust and premise of the book is, is summarized in this. The world is being prepared for a coming crisis because avatars come from the outside in to teach humanity in these times of crisis how to live a new way, have a new mode of being, and to create a new civilization. Um, and this new one world government will come about by those who are working in positions of power in government, finance, and positions of institutional power to bring about this one world government. The Christ consciousness that she speaks about is this message of love, which will bring all humans together under this new religion, so to speak, of oneness, where all people are included, all people are accepted, because the true message, as taught by Jesus 2,000 years ago, was a message of inclusive love. The Christians who have been speaking or teaching the Bible, the Orthodox Christians, they've been too focused on legalism, orthodoxy, the teachings of Paul, the teachings of Saul of Tarsus. And this message is exclusive, it's depressing, and nobody wants it. So coming in, coming to the town near you is going to be, as it was in the ancient times, the masters of hierarchy, these spiritual beings who have power to teach men. And they're going to come and manifest themselves, and Jesus is going to come back. And when Jesus, a.k.a. the Christ, comes back, he's going to set up a one-world government and a one-world system. And that one-world system is going to be a perfect government of peace, happiness, and we're going to overcome all the frailties and limitations that humanity has experienced the last 6,000 years. Summary. <laughs> Comment on the summary. But I think that kind of captures the, the, the gist and uh, the heart of what this book is kind of teaching. Yeah, I think what Alice Bailey um, does here is she sets it up and in that final chapter or the final two chapters, it's like the mask is off at that point. She starts in a way that is very much endearing, especially for people that are somewhat more agnostic or maybe are not a fully fledged Christian, which I would have seen myself that way for many years. Like I said, I studied um, Buddhism and Eastern religions and traditions. And we can talk about this in part two, but in my opinion, I always just thought it makes no sense to me that if somebody is a Buddhist and has a life of goodwill and a, a life of charity, helping other people, uh, contributing to society, but they don't um, believe in Christ or they don't have Christ as their spiritual teacher, it makes no sense to me that that Buddhist, um, should there be a heaven, that the God that I know, the God that I see, the creator, loving creator, would say to him, no, you, you're going you're not coming into heaven if there is a heaven or you're going down to hell in comparison to say an evildoer who just repented in the final year of his life who spent his entire life causing misery and suffering so i thought no that doesn't make sense to me uh and i don't think that's how it works and the creator that i have in my consciousness who i have a relationship with that's not him now or, or that's not the the god that i ascribe to so alice bailey is very endearing in that respect and as are a lot of the secret societies and and different mystery schools because they have a really nice kind of opening ceremony to get you in the door but then what you just said there is really the real face of alice bailey and i'm just going to repeat what you said christians must abandon the futility and ignorance of their orthodox christianity for the true kingdom of god to move the well towards oneness uh, mm -hmm. and that is a totalitarian statement because it starts out oh, all, every religion's got a Christ and an avatar and it's all well and good. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, Christians are the problem and you must abandon your ignorant belief 
if we are going to get to oneness and what she's what she's really saying there is we need to destroy christianity and of course if you look at what's happening in europe right now if you look what's happened at what's happening in great britain the churches are being filled not with christians anymore pj there were no christians going to those churches it's filled with muslims doing islamic prayer that's who's in the churches in the uk and the cathedrals now they're opening them up uh so Everything that Alice Bailey says in this book is happening. We're living through it right now. And I'm really excited to get into part two to discuss uh, how it's actually manifesting and also to get your take on some of these uh, topics that I've kind of been scribbling down as we go along. To kind of conclude or to summarize, I guess, my thoughts for part one before we get into part two, which is going to be <laughs> more of the good stuff, uh, kind of interpreting or an anal analyzing this content in relation to kind of current world events or even what is the occult or what does it mean? Like, and I'm sure you have some things you want to talk about too. I'm going to kind of summarize with my thoughts on the book. So I'm just going to read from the scriptures quick because I think it's really good and I'll kind of highlight some of the thoughts. And I so Jesus in Matthew 24, verses uh, 21 down. For there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you things, I have told you these things ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the desert, do not go. Here he is in the inner room, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will, will gather. And immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds in the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds. That's the real Jesus, and that's talking about Matthew 24. The power and the deception of Alice Bailey's work and what she's speaking to is this. And again, only time will tell, and only history will be able to tell what actually is going to come and what is going to be coming for us, because nobody ultimately knows the future. Alice Bailey says this, in the coming days, there's going to be the final avatar, the final Christ, who's going to appear from the outside in. And the current modern secular environment in which we all participate, primarily in the West, um, the ideas of the supernatural or the spiritual are still slightly foreign, but they're becoming more and more commonplace. The idea of a spiritually minded person is becoming much more acceptable and culturally, culturally acceptable in the modern West. And basically what Bailey has been saying is that there's going to be coming, like in the ancient days, someone who comes from the outside in, and they are going to have power, supernatural power. And it's not just going to be like a supernatural power like, oh, like God told me that in the future you're going to have a hard time, like just something so vague. Like, like no, there's going to be real supernatural power in this Christ who comes and his followers who come with them. They're going to have real power, and that's what's going to deceive people. But, but what Jesus is saying, like when these people come and when this guy comes from the outside in, don't be deceived. He's not the real one. He's actually going to be what the Bible says, the Antichrist, uh, a being who comes from the outside in. And when it comes to like biblical eschatological interpretation, like study of the end times, um, 
some people believe and think that the Antichrist is going to be like a human being that comes or emerges from like world uh, man-made institutions, like a king or a political figure, whatever it is. And Bailey kind of says like the Antichrist, he will have that function. He will be a world leader. But what Bailey's saying, what I think is actually really interesting about her is that she's saying the Antichrist when he comes, what I'm going to say now is openly the Antichrist, is a person or a being comes from the outside in with supernatural power. And that's what will distinguish him. Because one of the verses I always thought was so interesting about Matthew 24, verse 24, when Jesus says, even the elect will be fooled. And in biblical language, the elect are Christians, like the people who follow and follow after the real Jesus, like the Jesus of Nazareth, like who came in the flesh. How would they be deceived by the Antichrist? Like, how would they be? That doesn't make sense. Well, according to Christian theology, when Jesus Christ comes from the sky, he'll come with great power and he'll be able to do signs and miracles. So I think what's going to happen is people are going to see this guy show up. It could be after a real significant world crisis, man. And I'm telling you, like you and I know the times like we talk about it. You talk about it a lot in your show. Uh, I would say World War Three is personally already here. That's my view. Um, we'll see how the war in Ukraine escalates. Let's see if it does. We'll see if it doesn't. Um, but it appears that one of the goals of this kind of great reset, Agenda 2030, is a resetting and a restructuring of the world. And one of the ways that that happens is when the world goes through a time of real crisis and real difficulty, famine, hardship, war, that's when a new civilization emerges. And it seems like that's where we're going right now in today's world. The last two years is an early example of it. Um, but after a potential period of real crisis that Bailey talks about, that's when this guy kind of shows up and appears. And you'll have real supernatural, significant spiritual power. And that's how people are going to get caught. That's how they're going to get deceived. Um, and very much even among the Christian church, like people are like, wow, this guy's the real deal. He's here to help us. He's here to save us. He's going to be doing all these nice things. All the world religions are coming together. Nobody's fighting anymore. He's <laughs> giving bread to the homeless. Like who knows all the things that this guy's going to be doing, but Jesus warns us, don't fall for it. When the real dude shows up, when the real Jesus shows up, you'll know as the lightning is evident from the east to the west, so too will come the son of man. So, um, anyways, for part one, I just hope uh, your your audience, I hope they enjoyed that. Um, there's still a lot more to, to come, so so stick around for part two. But really wild and interesting book, Alice Bailey, The Reappearance of the Christ. Yeah, thank you for that closing remark, PJ, on part one. Uh, listeners and members, please head over to parallelmike.com to hear part two. This one's going to be a banger. I'm really excited for this one, PJ. And... Uh, if you're not a member and you'd like to uh, join us, we'd love to have you over there. My final thoughts on part one is just this. And um, whether you believe in Christ or not, you better believe that there is somebody coming because they have told us they're setting us up for somebody who is going to come along after a period of great crisis during a phase of the combining of world governments into a one world government, all things that have already happened. So all that is left in my opinion, for this to be fulfilled is the major crises that brings about this character, this avatar. And I think we're very close to that, PJ. There's many things on the horizon that that could turn out to be. It's probably going to be a combination of all of them. And this person is going to have a really distinct role in all of that. So I think wearing the armor of God, whatever that means to you, that is what you need right now. We need to come together as a community. We need to listen to voices like PJ we need to listen to voices of people that maybe don't believe the same things as us. Me and PJ, I'm sure we've got many different beliefs, but what we can all agree is that something's coming and that this 
goes back a long, long way. And the further you dig into this, the more you'll see that. So, listeners, thank you for enjoying part one with us. And I hope to see you over there for part two. What you are basically. Deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. Honestly expressing yourself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. The fabric and structure of existence. Not really peace in our time, peace in all time.